to Season 1, Episode 3 of Darker Things, a podcast looking for light on the darker side of life. I'm your host, Scott Jagow, formerly of Marketplace Radio. This is my latest project, exploring true crime, historic accidents, missing person cases, and many other mysteries. In today's episode, we'll venture down a dark, lonely highway in the middle of West Texas. We'll listen to a baffling 911 call. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here, and I checked it to the woods. And try to decipher what exactly happened to 26-year-old Brandon Lawson, a former soldier who vanished into thin air. It's a remarkable statistic, but about 600,000 people go missing in the U.S. every year. A large percentage of them are eventually found, but Brandon has never been seen again since the early hours of August 9, 2013. We'll go through the time leading up to Brandon's disappearance. We'll talk about that night. Then we'll listen to the 911 call and analyze it. Then discuss some new information that's come out in the last year or so. Talk about questions and theories. If you know this case already, it is popular in true crime circles. Perhaps this episode will provide a new perspective. If you don't, it's great to get another set of ears on Brandon's story. It's a case that has stuck with me for years, and I think as we go through it, you'll understand why. At the time he went missing, Brandon was living in San Angelo, Texas, with his common-law wife, Ledessa, and their four children. Brandon and Ledessa had met 10 years earlier in high school in the Fort Worth area, but they had recently moved to San Angelo so Brandon could work in the oil fields there. In the time they had spent in San Angelo, Brandon was working rigorous hours, like 95 hours a week. But in the days leading up to his disappearance, he actually had gotten a new job that was supposed to lighten his schedule. By most accounts, Brandon and Ledessa had a pretty good relationship, although there were stressors. His schedule was one of them. We'll talk about others coming up. But there's no debate that the 48 hours or so prior to him vanishing, there was certainly some fighting going on. That night, a pretty serious fight had broken out between Brandon and Ledessa. During this fight, Brandon calls his brother, Kyle, and says he's very upset and thinking of driving to see his father. His father lives in Crowley, Texas, near Fort Worth, which is three and a half hours away. Kyle and Ledessa both urge Brandon not to do this because it's almost midnight. But this is what happens in the next hour and a half. At 11.53 p.m., Brandon leaves his home in San Angelo and heads north on Highway 277, apparently bound for his father's place three and a half hours away. At midnight, Brandon's wife, Ledessa, calls his cell phone and says, please come back home or at least go to your brother Kyle's place. 10 minutes later, Kyle arrives at Brandon and Ledessa's to check on them and realizes his brother is not there. Meanwhile, Brandon is heading north on 277 with a low tank of gas. It's not clear whether he knows this or not, whether he's trying to make it to the next town, which is Bront, about 30 minutes from San Angelo. There's nothing between San Angelo and Bront. At 1234 and 1236, Brandon calls Ledessa and she misses those calls. Brandon had taken the wall charger for the phone with him and left Ledessa with only a car charger, so her phone is in the car, she doesn't hear these calls, and she has a sick child she's dealing with. At 12.38 a.m., Brandon calls his brother Kyle to tell him his truck has run out of gas. 
10 minutes later, Ledessa misses a third call from Brandon. At 12.50 a.m., Brandon calls 911, and that's what we'll listen to coming up. Then there's a series of missed connections between people in this case. Kyle calls Brandon and leaves a voicemail. Kyle calls Ledessa. She doesn't pick up because the phone is in the car. Kyle's girlfriend tries to reach Brandon. Brandon calls one of his neighbors. The neighbor calls back. They No one connects. Remember, Brandon is in a very rural area and the cell service probably isn't very good. At 12.58 a.m., a passing trucker calls 911 to report that Brandon's vehicle is sticking out into the roadway. At 1.04 a.m., the 911 dispatcher reportedly calls Brandon back because she doesn't have his location. Apparently, Kyle was waiting for a check to clear so he could purchase some gas to help his brother out. But at 1.10 a.m., he drives out there anyway with his girlfriend and child and a gas can at about the same time, a sheriff's deputy responding to the 911 call that the trucker made shows up at Brandon's truck, which is sticking out into the road. Unfortunately, the sheriff's deputy does not tell Kyle that Brandon has called 911. I don't know if he knew, but he doesn't tell him that and Kyle doesn't know. So there's a little bit of confusion at this moment. At 1.18 a.m., Kyle's girlfriend, Audrey, texts Brandon to say, hey, there's a sheriff's deputy at your truck. Brandon did have an outstanding warrant for a minor drug charge, which could influence his decision-making here. Then he calls Audrey and says, I'm just a few minutes up the road. I can see you guys. I'm bleeding. After a while of searching, Kyle decides to drive his girlfriend and child back home and then come back with a friend to do some more searching. Ledessa, meanwhile, is dealing with a sick child. She has missed all these calls from Brandon. But later in the morning, she will go out and search as well, and then his car will be towed at about 8.30, and Ledessa will report him missing. Before we go any further, it's imperative that we listen to the 911 call, so let's do that now. I'll play it at full speed first, then slow it down, then we'll listen to it piece by piece and talk about what he is saying to the 911 operator. So here's full speed. Nine. 2013 050 and 38 seconds. 911 emergency. Yes, I'm in the middle of the field. Escape. We're just pushing guys over. Right here, going towards gasoline on both sides. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. I got to take it to the woods. Please hurry. Okay, now run that. I mean, we're not talking to him. Hi, Shelly, you ran into him. Ah, you ran into him. Okay. Got the first guy. Do you need an ambulance? Yeah. No, I need the cops. Okay. Is anybody hurt? Hello? 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 And now let's play a slowed down version. No emergency. Yes, I'm in the middle of the field escape. We're just pushing guys over. Right here going towards gasoline on both sides. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. You got to take it to the woods. Please hurry. Okay, now run that. I mean, we're not talking to him. Hi, Shelly, you ran into him. Ah, you ran into him. Okay. 
such a postcard. Do you need an ambulance? No, I need a call. Okay. Is anybody hurt? So that is the call Brandon made to 911 at 12.50 a.m. on August 9th, 2013. If you need to go back and listen to it again, I don't blame you. There's a lot to process there. A little context about this call. This is a very rural area, and the call came into a 911 center that's in a nursing home. Kind of unorthodox. Probably not the most trained personnel there, and you can kind of sense that in the call. She doesn't ask, where's your emergency, first of all, which I think should be protocol, because she never gets that information. It should be 911, where's your emergency? I don't know if Brandon would have responded properly or not, but I do know that that's usually the protocol. But let's go through, piece by piece, what we think is going on here. 911 emergency. Yes, I'm in the middle of the field. The we're just pushing guys over. We're out here going towards javelin on both sides. My truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. Got to take it to the woods. Please After the 911 operator picks up, Brandon clearly says, I'm in the middle of a field. What he says next is murky. It sounds like he's saying a staper, just something, some guys over, right here going toward Abilene on both sides. The verb he uses could be pushed, could be cruised, it sounds like, could be pulled. His brother Kyle, and this is part of the new information that's come out, says he believes his brother was trying to say state trooper. There's been some conspiracy theories that this 911 call is edited. His brother says that's not true. He's just talking really fast. He is trying to say state trooper. Then Brandon clearly says, my truck ran out of gas. There's one car here. And the next part drops out a little bit. Sounds like he's saying, a guy's chasing me through the woods. Please hurry. Now let's listen to the next section. Okay, now run that by me. Well, we're not talking to him. Hi, so you ran into him. Ah, you ran into him. Okay. The operator is obviously trying to say, now run that by me one more time, but Brandon interrupts her. This is a little point of contention I have about 911 calls in general. Can they not release them on two tracks? The caller and the dispatcher, because this happens all the time where people interrupt each other. While the dispatcher is talking, Brandon says something about, I wasn't talking to him, I'm not talking to him, I totally or accidentally ran into him. For the longest time, I thought he was saying totally. Now, after reading some things, I hear accidentally. And in a minute, I'm going to talk about the patterns that people hear with their ears. You wouldn't think it would make much difference whether it's totally or accidentally. However, if he's saying accidentally, and that's what the dispatcher hears, she's thinking accident. And that's not necessarily what Brandon is trying to convey. Case in point, the next thing she says is, ah, you ran into him. Okay. She's thinking this is a car accident. And Brandon is not talking like this is a car accident. He's talking like someone is following him. So let's listen to the next section. Got the first guy. Do you need an ambulance? No, I need to call. Okay. Is anybody hurt? 
I don't know exactly what Brandon says at the beginning of that clip. It sounds like got the first guy, but it could be not the first guy, shot the first guy. The point is, he's talking about multiple people, and Kyle has shed some light about what he might have been thinking there. We'll get to that in a minute. But to finish the call, the next thing we hear is Brandon out of breath. He's clearly been running, and then yet again, the operator and Brandon step on each other. We really do need split tracks. So we can't hear what Brandon says. The operator asks him, do you need an ambulance? I hear Brandon responding like I might if I'm caught off guard or if I was talking, uh, he just kind of switches his answer. Yeah, no, I need the cops. He's trying to clarify. Then the operator asks, is anybody hurt? And Brandon doesn't say another word. All we hear are some whooshing sounds in the background. There's been plenty of talk that these whooshing sounds are gunshots. But Brandon's brother, Kyle, did an interview last year, and he said with 100% certainty, those are not gunshots. That is a distinct sound that he knows. It's the sound of cars or trucks crossing a bridge over the Colorado River. And this makes perfect sense, given that Brandon ran out of gas at about 1230 or 1235. 15 minutes later, he's making that 911 call. If you look at the map, if he walks north for 15 minutes from his truck, toward the town of Bront, he would arrive at that bridge at about 12.50. It's one mile from the truck. Plus, his phone was pinging in that spot, so I'm pretty confident the noises you hear are not gunshots, they are vehicles crossing that bridge. There are other things that people have said they hear in this call, like another voice, like a faint, faint whisper at the end of help me. And if you're told that those are in there, you're more likely to hear them because the human ear seeks out patterns and structure. I'll give you an example. Satanic panic of the 1980s, where people were finding satanic messages as records were played backwards. I heard a podcast on this, and if they played the record backwards and you didn't know what the message was, it just sounded like gobbledygook. But then they would tell you the message, let's say, Satan loves your children. Then when they played the record, you could hear Satan loves your children because your ear is seeking it out. And I think that's what's going on with a lot of this stuff on this 911 call. I believe Brandon was alone making that call. If you want to see exactly where Brandon's truck ran out of gas and the area around there, go to Google Maps and type in 9960, then a space, and then US-277. Go to the satellite view, Swivel the camera to the right and zoom in, and you will see there on the side of the road a cross with flowers around it, and it says missing. That is for Brandon Lawson. The area around there is mostly private land, and it's leased to hunters primarily. It's hard land. There's a lot of fencing, thick brush. It's not very human-friendly. But after Brandon disappeared, authorities and Ledessa did get some searches going. There were some aerial searches, too. She just wishes the Coke County Sheriff's Department would have done a little more to help find Brandon, especially in the beginning. For one thing, they didn't even search his truck. They didn't consider it a potential crime scene. That's just bad police work. He did have some priors for drugs, uh, and he did have an outstanding warrant, but they tried to portray him as some kingpin drug dealer, and Ledessa said she didn't even know about that warrant, so it couldn't have been a big deal. And then the sheriff told her that Brandon probably ran away with another woman. 
despite having zero evidence to suggest that. Now for more of the new information. For years, it wasn't clear whether Brandon was on drugs that night. Ledessa had said she didn't think he was under the influence, and a close friend said the exact same thing. But Kyle came out last year and said Brandon had come to him asking about drugs a few days earlier. Kyle had told him, you don't need to do that. You've been clean. In fact, he just passed a drug test for this new job he was getting. But Kyle said Brandon was kind of one of those rare people who could go a long time being sober and then want to use briefly and then go back to being sober. That's how he described him. And he was emphatic that Brandon was, in fact, using methamphetamines that night. After Kyle said this, Ledessa kind of changed her thinking. Maybe Brandon was on meth. And she said Brandon would behave differently when he was on drugs. Kyle also said that when Brandon called him the first time, when he was upset about the fight, he said he was tripping and that Ledessa had gotten some Mexicans in the neighborhood to run him out of town. And that in the 911 call, that's who he's talking about. That maybe he got one of them, a state trooper pulled another one of them over, and then there's a third one chasing him through the woods. That was his interpretation of that story. Ledessa says there's absolutely no truth to the idea that she had Mexicans chasing him out of town. But that's why I wanted you to listen to the call first, because we don't know with 100% certainty what happened that night. And clearly, if he was on methamphetamines, that colors our view of what he is saying. I don't think he sounds incoherent, and that gives me some pause. But he is talking fast. His mind seems to be going way faster than his mouth, and he's saying things that reflect what he told Kyle about being chased. There's one more tidbit from Kyle. 30 minutes after the 911 call, when Brandon calls his brother, he uses the phrase, one-time run. Apparently, one-time is a slang for cop, so he's telling Kyle and Audrey to get away from the sheriff's deputy. That leaves a big hole in this story, because... On the 911 call, Brandon says, I need the cops. So if the warrant were such a big deal, why is he asking for the cops? And then why a half an hour later is he telling his brother to get away from them? That's why this case is so baffling. I'm going to go through several of the theories of what could have happened to Brandon and share my thoughts from least likely to most likely. Theory number one, Brandon ran off on his own. This is what the sheriff's department would have you believe at the beginning of the story. Uh, but Brandon was heading to his father's that night, and he ran out of gas. It makes no sense that he had plans to take off somewhere else based on the evidence. Plus, he was about to start a new job that was going to improve his lifestyle. He had four kids that he loved, and by all accounts was a great father. And he wasn't fleeing to Mexico for a minor drug charge. This theory just doesn't work. Theory number two. Brandon drowned in the Colorado River. Now, if Brandon had disappeared elsewhere along the Colorado, say the Grand Canyon where there's a lot of white water and rapids and churning, I'd probably bump this theory to number one. But the Colorado in that area is about ankle to knee deep, and it's still. I know people have drowned in a little bit of water, but it seems like he'd be pretty easy to find in that scenario. So I'm also putting this theory at a very low likelihood. Theory number three, Brandon was murdered. 
Kyle actually said in his interview he thinks this is a real possibility that foul play was involved. He even pointed his finger at the sheriff's deputy who was there that night because the deputy said, oh, you don't need to look in the direction I came from. I didn't see Brandon that way. That was a little weird. But when did this murder take place? Whether it was law enforcement or Mexicans or somebody else, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense according to the timeline. Brandon's calling 911 at 12.50, saying he needs the cops right away, please hurry. 30 minutes later, he's standing still and alive and well, looking at Audrey, the sheriff's deputy, and Kyle at the truck and telling them to get away from the deputy. Now, he did tell Audrey that he was bleeding. I did not forget about that. However, Kyle said Brandon would have absolutely told him, I've been shot if he had been shot. His condition would have been probably clear over the phone. Instead, he's using profanities telling Kyle, where's your pride? Where's your pride? That doesn't sound like somebody who's been shot. It sounds, if he's bleeding, it sounds more like he got cut up running through the thick brush. That makes more sense to me. As far as the deputy goes, he's there with Kyle at that time, so he hadn't already murdered Brandon. The trucker who called 911, as far as we know, didn't say anything about other vehicles being there, even though Brandon said there were other vehicles. So unless somebody doubled back, like the sheriff's deputy or the group of Mexicans finally caught up with Brandon, I just don't see the evidence to go with this theory. And then there's theory number four. Now that we've learned that Brandon could have been, or perhaps certainly was, on methamphetamines, could he have, in his psychotic state, tripped and fallen, hit his head, become unconscious, and then perhaps the elements played a role, whether it's wild animals out there in that hunting area, the 105 degree heat the following day. I think the idea that he never left that land due to something that happened to him is the most likely scenario. It sounds like he believed he was being chased, but there isn't really evidence to suggest that he was. But if he thought he was, and he turned and ran, after that final call to Kyle at 119, who knows what happened to him next. Frankly, I hope he did run off to Mexico. That would mean he's still alive. But in all likelihood, he's on that land somewhere and just hasn't been found. As Ledessa says, she wishes the sheriff's department would work with her more to resolve this. And some of the private landowners haven't been very cooperative either about searches. So the limited ones that have been done haven't turned up anything, but that doesn't mean he's not there. You would think maybe his clothing would have been found at some point, but in that thick brush, who knows what you could see from the air or what you could get to on the ground. My heart goes out to Ledessa and to Kyle and to all their family and friends because I know they would like to have some answers and uh, hopefully one day we will have them. I'll post a photo of Brandon and some info on social media at Things Darker on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram, it's Darker Things Pod. My completely random recommendation this week is a 10-part docu-series on Netflix called The Innocence Files. It's from The Innocence Project, founded many years ago by attorneys Peter Neufeld and Barry Sheck, who famously was an attorney on the O.J. Simpson Dream Team. But these guys have spent most of their careers trying to get wrongfully convicted people out of prison and that's what this series is about. I recommend some light binging on this, maybe a couple episodes at a time, just to keep your blood pressure down. 
You'll see why pretty early on when you encounter the bite mark expert. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Darker Things. Thanks so much for listening, and stay safe.